The thing that no one wants to admit is that most people want things to happen to them. We tell each other lies about the fight for free will and independence, but we don't really want that. We want to be told how to live and then die when we are not looking. People want oblivion, and a few of us are born to build it for them. So here I am, their invisible god, sneaking under their skin. You know that history isn't kind to those who play god. And you don't? We both eradicate people to make the world a better place. I just want to be a little... tidier. Is that Austin Powers that we played the clip from? Did we choose the wrong... <laughs> choose the wrong... Maybe anyway. Okay, No Time to Die. Here we go. Yeah, well, let me start by saying that... Um, so, No Time to Die, obviously, that we know that, you know, there, there's been such a lot of delays. 25th Bond movie, uh, the, the final Daniel Craig outing after Casino Royale, Question of Sport, Pond of Wood, uh, Skyfall, Spectre. Um, it was originally going to open... You know, way, way back in 2020, it was the first film to announce a major delay due to COVID, which actually turned out to be, you know, actually have a lot of foresight. Then it was pushed back to November 2020. Then, of course, that then slipped, which caused so much uh, trouble for cinemas. It then was April 2021, then for October. And now what happened was it premiered finally on Tuesday of this week. Uh, and opened uh, straight afterwards. I should just say that I didn't see it at the premiere just for personal reasons. I wasn't able to be there. So I saw it last night, um, uh, you know, it having opened as as everybody else has. So it's kind of fairly fresh uh, in my mind. Just a little bit of background as to how we got here. Originally, it was slated to be released, to be directed by... Danny Boyle with a script by John Hodge, who wrote Train Spotting, which sounded like a very daring move for Bond. I mean, as daring, I think, as getting in Sam Mendes to be a, a Bond director. Um, how much of, you know, who exactly was responsible for the creative differences? No one's quite sure, but the John Hodge script fell out of favour. And so John Hodge left, as did Danny Boyle. Then Kerry uh, Joji Fukunaga, who was known for Beast of No Nation and True Detective, stepped in. That was the first pushback of the release date. The script was then rewritten with Phoebe Waller-Bridge being one of the, you know, being the high profile name brought in to do, you know, what's called a polish or a rewrite to give it a modern twist, add more comedy reportedly, along with series regulars, uh, Neil uh, Purvis and Robert Wade. And so now finally, we have the film about which we've been reading for all this time. The first question is, was it worth the wait? And I have to tell you, it is good. I mean, it's much better than I had expected. It's not perfect, but it is a really solid Bond movie, not least because, like on Her Majesty's Secret Service, the score of which Hans Zimmer quotes very early on in the film and which kind of hangs over the movie like an inspirational cloud, it has a plot in which loss is an actual thing, an actual possibility. Um, when you look back at the history of Bond, you know, the early Bond movies with Connery, they did become increasingly pain-free and I think, you know, therefore threat-free. 
Then after Connery left, well, there was Lazenby and then Connery again, but it, Lazenby stepped in for On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which was the first Bond movie that really had, you know, proper personal consequences. I loved that film. I absolutely loved the score. I've always loved the score. But because Lazenby was not a popular Bond at the time, I mean, people have forgotten this now, at the time it was kind of buried. Since then, it's been reassessed. You know, now amongst the Cognoscenti, it's you know it's a fairly cool thing to say. Oh, I think it's the best Bond movie. Of course, it was the film to which Christopher Nolan uh, was referring when he made Inception. I mean, there's a lot of nods in Inception to One of Majesty's Secret Service, and Nolan was thought of at one point as a possible Bond director, but actually somebody who kind of reinvented Bond himself with Tenet and you know and, and Inception and those movies. So when when Daniel Craig took over. Casino Royale brought back in the sense of pain that I think the series had been had been missing, the sense of hurt, and the films had a grittier edge. Although it is worth saying that that grittier edge was foreshadowed in the films of you know Timothy Dalton and uh, Lazenby. Before I mean, there is a weird thing that actually Craig is the natural inheritor of you know of Timothy Dalton and George Lazenby in 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 terms of the, the you know the, the Bond mantle. Anyway. That sense of pain, I think, has been the defining character of Craig's Bond. And as a result, his Bond has felt, to me at least, more real than others. And this dares to follow that through, and I think it's all the better for it. It's also appropriate that the film has elements of eerie horror. This has always been a... There has always been a touch of horror in the back of Bond. I mean, you know, obviously there is a Roald Dahl connection anyway. And you've seen you know, very clear horror movie inflections in things like Live and Let Die, the first Bond movie I ever saw, was, you know, it was a hop, skip and a jump away from being a Hammer movie. I mean, here those things are played up. There's a masked home invasion that could have come out of Halloween. There is, um, there's a character whose name, for all intents and purposes, is Lucifer Satan. And there's an interrogation sequence really? that is... Yeah, well, no, but it's, you know, but it's kind of, it's close enough. Um and then there's this interrogation sequence, which is absolutely pure Hannibal Lecter. I mean, absolutely 100%, you know, Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter. Directorially, I think it's, it's solid. If somewhat unsurprising, but very solid. When I say unsurprising, I mean, because I did find myself thinking, I wonder what Danny Boyle would have done. When you think about the opening of Trainspotting, when you think about the street scenes of Slumdog Millionaire, when you think about the, just the sheer visual extravagance of Sunshine, I do wonder what he would have done. And it is worth remembering that this, you know, this should have been in the same mix as, as Tenet, The Summer of Tenet, which is a film which is pushing the boundaries of, I mean, whether you like Tenet or not, it is visually really, really adventurous. This is, this is solid. It's not adventurous, but it is very solid. There are some very good looking set pieces. I mean, not least because Linus Sangren, who, who shot La La Land, does that thing about making locations look intoxicating in the way that the old Bond movies did. Again, if you're my age, when you first went to see Bond, part of the thrill was they get on airplanes and go to other places in the world that look fantastic because you've, you know, you've never seen them. Um, I think there are large sections that are episodic, uh, but they are, they're confident enough that it's, I mean, you never have any of the sense of like, you know, question of sport that actually the director doesn't know what they're doing and the film doesn't know what it's doing from the script point of view. It feels like, uh, and I'm, I'm just to be clear, I'm not doing any plot here at all. If you want to know the plot of the film, go see the film. I've already read stuff since seeing the film last night that, you know, I'm glad I didn't read it beforehand. But I'm, I'm, I'm doing all of this without doing plot. If you want to know the plot of the film, go see the film. That seems fair. From the, yeah, I think so. 
from the script point of view, it does feel like a team effort rather than a singular voice. I mean, you find yourself looking for the um, for the Wallabridge singers. You know, there is a line somebody's referred to as mad as a bag of bees. And, you know, it's generally people say, oh, well, I wonder whether that was her line. And then wondering whether her input into the roles of uh, Lashana Lynch's Nomi and Anna de Amas's Paloma, whether they were substantially shaped by her input. I, I don't know what the case is. I think there's something problematic about imagining that if you bring in Phoebe Waller-Bridge, that that is the stuff that she would do that and only that. I mean, it's, there's, I think there's an almost almost a sexism in in that. I don't know what she wrote in the script and it may have been, you know, many other things. I mean, remember the very first Bond film, Doctor No, was co-written by Johanna Harwood, who then, you know, did From Russia with Love, and I think worked, I think worked on Goldfinger. So, I mean, this that is strangely something which goes right back to the beginning, uh, you know, that input. So, I I don't know who wrote what. What I do know is that it does feel like a number of different voices. There is a bit of mix and match about it. You you do get a sense of a number of different writers having input. But that also means you get you get the old-style Bond gags. Again, I won't spoil any of them by telling you what they are, but there is a gag that harks back to the kind of, you know, he had a lot of guts humour that you got in, in, in the old Bond. Um, the soundtrack, as I said, it is Zimmer doing Bond, which is very much what you'd expect Zimmer doing Bond to sound like. And it, the film itself is full of nods to Dr. No, there are nods to the novel of You Only Live Twice, and the score similarly calls back across the series. Although sometimes sometimes in strange in strange ways there's 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 a couple of callbacks that are in places that I wouldn't have expected them to be, but you know, but hey. On the performance level, I still think Daniel Craig is the best Bond, and I think this is a really good film for him to to go out on. It's one that that you know he's made the role his own. There's that line in a previous film in which you know he's a blunt tool and he's told that he's a trigger. You know you need someone to pull the trigger, um, but I think he's that kind of the brutality of his character, but also the the frailty of it is something that he has managed to embody, and he's done it terrifically. Uh, Leia Sadu is terrific. And in many ways kind of, you know, rivals the impact of Diana Rigg um, in the series previously. I mean, this the film is Madeline's, that's her character, Madeline Swan's movie as much as it is Bond's, actually. And I think that is a, a real accomplishment. Jeffrey Wright is great as Felix, you know, proper character arcs, proper, you know, proper lines. Anna de Amas, who co-starred with, with uh, Daniel Craig in Knives Out, has a lot of fun. There's a sequence where she has a, a lot of fun, a lot of pizzazz. It is true that narratively you could take that sequence out. And the film is long, as we know, and it does feel long. But then I didn't I wouldn't want to take that sequence out. I mean the plot would work without it, but I wouldn't want to take it out because that sequence is is so much fun. And then you know Ben Wishaw as Q, who again I think has made the role his own. When you remember that Ben Wishaw initially was doing things like, well, what were you expecting? An, an exploding pen. Well, this time we, we don't get an exploding pen, but we get something that's in the same, you know, wheelhouse as an exploding pen, ending up going, you know, head to head with a bionic eyeball. So there are gadgets that that stuff is there. And there's the kind of remote villain's lair that Dr. Evil would have loved and had sharks in, whether sharks with lasers on their head or, or, or not. And, you know, and Crystal Voltz and Rami Malek chew the scenery, but then, you know, if people in a Bond movie can't chew the scenery, then, then frankly, who can? So I think overall, it is a very good uh, final outing for Craig, a film that dares to, you know, follow its plots through, a film that doesn't bottle out. And... 
I think it, it personally my favorite uh, my favorite of the of the Daniel Craig's are still Skyfall and um you know and and, and I love Casino Royale. I don't I don't get the 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 bad feeling about Spectre. I mean people really really don't like Spectre and I don't understand why. I did like it. I don't I don't get that. Um Question of Sport, Pond of Wood, you know, Field of Cheese, that, that I, I still think was a total misfire. But frankly, one total misfire is is not bad going. And hats off to Daniel Craig for making his tenure feel like a self-contained Bond cycle. I mean, you, I think you could legitimately say that he is the first Bond to have done that. And remember when the naysayers, when he was first cast, oh, he's too blonde for Bond. He's not Bond. You know, that website, Daniel Craig is not Bond. Uh, yeah, he is. I'll leave you with a final thought on this because I said I have been thinking about this a lot since I saw it less than 10 hours ago now. Um, in the Fast and Furious movies, there is this whole thing that, you know, there's a whole bunch of cars, there's a whole bunch of stuff, and then every now and then it stops and Vin Diesel goes, family, it's about family. And you go, no, it isn't. It's not. It's, a, it's about cars and it's about, you know. Well, Fast and Furious is an action franchise and so is the Bond movie. So they're kind of in a, you know, there is a similarity whether you like it or not. The th one thing I would say about No Time to Die that's really struck me in the hours since I've watched it is that the idea of family, you know, whether it's country or organization or personal relations or, you know, whatever it is, is written into the DNA of the script. And I and I mean the DNA of, of the plot. In fact, you know, although the word you know does turn up, there is one moment in which a character mouths the word, doesn't even say it, but mouths it silently. And it's very clever because it's a joke, but it's also not a joke. It's also a it's it's like the moment that the film is is doing something actually very profound and it almost makes it a joke, but it isn't a joke. And it sits very nicely on the cusp. And I think that when the film is at its best, it balances those elements, which is what I've been trying to say rather lengthily. And I think that perhaps the greatest achievement of the film is that at the end of it, it isn't about a shark with lasers or otherwise it is oddly about family and vin diesel would do well to remember that so is it um is it the best of the craigs no i still think the best of the craigs for skyfall. me is skyfall because i you know i i loved skyfall i loved the way skyfall was direct. i loved everything about yeah. skyfall but i think it's it is a it is a very good, solidly made film that is much better than I thought it was going does, to be. And does solid equal satisfactory? Yes. Or is it, or is it oh, better I, than No, that? no, 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 satisfactory. I did not come out unsatisfied. 